Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I am Teresa Blaze, and tonight I have a very special guest. But before we get to that, I just want to make a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to talk to you guys. If you want to have a conversation and maybe help me figure out the direction that you want to see this show go, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to find out the questions that you have that you would like to see addressed on the show. And you can do that by sending me an email at Teresa at unresolved.life. Again, that is Teresa at unresolved.life. I'd also like to hear your prayer requests. You can send those also. So with that... Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Melissa Odin, and I'm not going to go too much into her backstory because I kind of want her to tell it herself. Melissa, welcome to the show. Can you tell the audience why you're here? I'm here because 40 years ago, an abortion actually failed to end my life. That's certainly not something you hear every day, but... 40 years ago, I now know that my biological mother, as a 19-year-old college student, had a saline infusion abortion forced upon her. That type of procedure was actually the most common one back in the 1970s, and unfortunately, it involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. The intent of that toxic salt solution was to poison and scald me to death. And so if your audience would look it up online or read about it in medical journals, they would find how that procedure usually lasted about 72 hours. The child would soak in that toxic salt solution until their life was effectively ended by it. And then premature labor was induced with the intent of then delivering that deceased child. What we actually know through my medical records is that I didn't soak in that toxic salt solution for just 72 hours. I actually soaked in it for five days. Oh, they could not. Yeah, I know, right? They could not get her labor successfully induced until the fifth day. They tried time and time again over that five-day period, and they finally succeeded on the fifth day. And I was delivered at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City, Iowa, believing that I would be a successful abortion that day, you know, otherwise known as a deceased child. But lo and behold, I was actually born alive. What you're telling me is that you should not be alive currently. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. That would be the short version of that story. I mean, growing up, were you told that you were a survivor of an abortion? And what happened to you after you were born? Well, I did not know that I survived the failed abortion until I was actually a teenager. I was 14 when I found out. But, you know, it has really taken me most of my life forgot to unfold the details of my life. And of course, part of that was me looking for answers. But truly, I know God is the one who has unfolded piece after piece. And, you know, what we now know is that when that abortion was forced upon my birth mother, it was done by force. You know, it was not her choice. You know, people often say that, you know, it was her choice. And and I truly did. I, I spent years of my life thinking at first it must have been her choice. And then as I started to piece together her life, thought, oh, maybe she was coerced into it, right? That this wasn't just a decision she made. And, you know, unfortunately, I now know that it was literally forced upon her against her will by her own mother. Do we know the circumstances of that, that coercion? Well, what I can tell you is that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was a prominent nurse in their community. 
you know, knew an awful lot, of course, about the medical field, but also knew an awful lot about how to make a secret forced abortion take place on her own daughter at the hospital that she oversaw the education of nurses at. And so my grandmother was well-connected with the abortionist there. And from what we've been told, he owed her a really big favor. And so they bypassed hospital regulations and policies, forced the abortion upon my birth mother, not giving her any choice, and truly did think that they would get away with it, that nobody would ever find out that it wasn't her choice. And when I was delivered alive that day, we actually also now know that my grandmother was there. You know, I suspect she kept very close tabs on the whole situation over that five day period. But when I was born alive that day, my grandmother actually demanded that they leave me in that room to die. I was not in the best shape, of course, when I was delivered alive anyway. And my medical records, if you look at my APGAR score, you know, within five minutes, I went from being like a five, which is, you know, not good in this grand grand scheme of things. But then within five minutes, I was actually almost dead. And so we don't know the length of time I was left. We don't know where I was left, but I do know that there was a struggle about what would happen about my life. And my grandmother's demands were pretty strong, but uh, we actually now know that there was at least one nurse who was not willing to follow her demands and whisked me off to the NICU. I actually was contacted by a nurse earlier this year who had read my book, You Carried Me. And she was at the neonatal intensive care unit that day when the other nurse rushed me in. And she had been following me for a long time on social media. And she said, you know, I always wondered if you were the baby that had been, you know, rushed to, to the NICU that day. And she said, after reading your book, I know that it was you. Let me see if I if, if, if I'm understanding this right. Your mother had someone had had, had this this barbaric procedure forced upon her and then you were left to die when they failed to kill you in the womb. Right. When the first try didn't succeed. Right. Then there was the attempt to then leave me to die once again. Yeah, we joke in my family, right? I'm a little stubborn and bullheaded. So, <laughs> you know, I thank God for that in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, of course, all kidding aside, it was very serious. Right. So what happened to you once you got into the NICU? You know, the nurse actually who rushed me in that day had told her, you know, that darn Dr. Kelberg messed up. Dr. Kelberg was the abortionist. But she went on and she said, you know, she just kept gasping for breath. She just kept gasping for breath. And so I couldn't just leave her there to die. And so, of course, she didn't leave me there to die. And whisking me off to the NICU afforded me the life-sustaining medical care that I so desperately needed. So, you know, remained in that NICU for 21 days before I was then transferred to a larger hospital for continued care. And, you know, talking to that nurse earlier this year, it was just a blessing for me to not only hear about the medical care that was provided to me, I had read about it, of course, through my medical records, but that nurse was able to share just what a miracle they realized that I was and that they prayed over me, that they thought about me, not only the days that I was there, but in the days thereafter. And they've, many of those nurses have spent their lives wondering whatever happened to me. I am honestly speechless. I mean, that kind of a story, I mean, on one hand, I'm sitting here thinking, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's clear that God had his hand on your life. It's clear that he he had a reason for you sticking around. 
obviously you were in the hospital and obviously there was a lot of medical issues that happened. So what happened to you uh, growing up? How did you like, did, were you adopted or what happened to you growing up? Yes. So after I was transferred to a larger hospital, my parents actually came into my life. So my adoptive parents and I actually went home to them about three months after I survived that failed abortion, which again is a pretty miraculous thing. But I was raised to know that I was adopted. I knew, of course, growing up that I had been born prematurely, that I had health issues. You know, in all honesty, I never really thought a whole lot about that. I knew lots of people who had overcome those kind of obstacles. And so I did not see it coming when I was 14 years old to ultimately find out that I had survived that failed abortion before I was placed for adoption. And when you did find out, what was the emotional, I mean, what were the first emotional thoughts and impact that, that, that came into your mind? It's like a bomb went off, right? It was like all of my feelings were detonated all at once. My parents had been deeply afraid of how the knowledge about my life would change my life and how it would change the love that I felt for my biological parents. and. You know, initially it did. I was angry that night. I was resentful for the fact that they had tried to end my life. At the time, my adoptive parents had been told that it was my birth mother's choice to do it. And so that's the information that I was given. So I was angry. And, you know, I was ashamed and embarrassed to survive an abortion because I had never heard of anybody like me before. I felt guilty for surviving because. I knew how many children were not as fortunate as I was. And so I lived in a lot of pain for a period of time, didn't want to be a survivor, didn't want to be this person who was so different than everybody else, but, you know, truly in the midst of my own suffering. And some of it was self-induced, right? We're good at those things in our world. I realized day in and day out that God did not make a mistake when he made me, just as he doesn't make a mistake in anybody's life. And I came into this place early on of, of accepting the fact that I am called to love and forgive my biological parents and everybody responsible for that abortion as much as I'm loved and forgiven by Christ myself. And I think that's hard for some people to understand because here I was like a teenager, right? And people go, how do you, how do you ever do that? But for me, that's the kind of faith my parents raised me with was, love and forgiveness and knowing that we all fall short in the eyes of God every single day. And so that made it easy for me to forgive them in most respects. But I think the hardest part is that we have to be deliberate and choose to live in that forgiveness every single day. And things happen, right? I have two daughters. When my children were born, it brought up all of those emotions that said, oh my goodness, if you would have lost your life like you were supposed to, they wouldn't have lived. And so the anger resurfaces and you have to choose to forgive again in that moment and say, okay, you know what? This is a human emotion. I get that. Feel it, acknowledge it, and realize that it doesn't take over again, right? You still forgive in the face of that. And so I think it's that deliberate choice that people struggle with. Wow. Okay. Now I have a question. You said that you were told that that at the time that this was your mother's choice. How did you begin to find out that no, this actually wasn't your mom's choice, that this is actually forced upon her? I started looking from a biological parents when I was about 19 years old. And so that was about 1996, 1997 when I started looking for them. 
And I didn't find them until 2007. And during that period of searching, I was also trying to, t- to find my medical records because I honestly knew that God was calling me forward to share his story with the world. And so I knew medical records would be a huge part of it. And so 10 years of searching, it took me to find them, to find my medical records. And, you know, even though contact still wasn't made with my birth family for many, many years after that, one of my birth mother's cousins contacted me about five years ago. And that's how I found out that the abortion was forced upon her, that my grandmother was responsible for all of the things that she was. And that's how I ultimately became connected with my birth mother and my half-sisters. And I have to ask, what was that first meeting of of you and your birth mother like? I mean, knowing everything that you know now. Well, and we spent three years really building trust with each other. You know, people would ask me early on, you guys still haven't met? Why haven't you ever met? And for me, the answer was very simple. The fact that we both survived this and we... We're learning to love and accept and forgive one another, mostly on her end, right? She had to accept that she's loved and forgiven. It doesn't undo what was done. And mainly on her part, she had to learn that she could trust me. She had to learn that she was forgiven and loved. And she really questioned how that could be possible because she had never experienced that in her own life. And so we really built trust with each other for about three years before we ever met face-to-face for the first time. And so it was about a year and a half ago now that we met face to face. And, you know, in all honesty, it's one of those moments that I think defies any kind of accurate description because it was really this moment that I knew God had planned in this moment that he was looking down upon and knowing that that's exactly what he had intended to have happen. And so it was just everything we ever could have hoped for and then some. And she's now this huge part of my life. She's one of my greatest supports in this world. Wow, that's incredible. Now, there's a lot of people who are listening and whether Christian or non-Christian, they may have had a very, very up close and personal dealing with abortion. Maybe they have actually had one. Would you have something to say to them? Most definitely. Just as much as my birth mother is loved and forgiven. So is anyone who has been impacted by an abortion decision, whether it's you as a woman who had an abortion or you as a man who maybe paid for it or, you know, drove them there or through your inactions, you know, maybe that coerced someone to have an abortion. And so I just want every woman and man to know that they are also loved and forgiven just as much as my biological parents are. And there's great resources that exist in our communities to help people along that healing journey. So there's Rachel's Vineyard retreats, there's local pregnancy centers where people can receive counseling and one-on-one and sometimes group support. There's great pastors and priests to turn to you know, in local communities to receive further support. Groups like Silent No More are also so helpful for many, many people. And what do you say to those that actually fight because it is, quote, a right to choose? I mean, they would sit there and tell you, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to quench this because, you know, obviously there's a right to choose and your story is unique. Yes, but that doesn't mean everybody woman has, is going to be forced. Some of them have the right to that choice. Well, there's a couple things I would say to that. First of all, the Elliott Institute puts out great statistics when it comes to coercion and forced abortions. And so they indicate that over through their research, over 64% of women, 64% 
report being pressured into their abortion decision. And I think that's important to acknowledge. If we want to talk about abortion being a choice and a right, then where is the choice and the right for those 64% of women who identify being pressured into making that abortion decision? So that's that would be my first response. And of course, the second response would be first, you know, when it comes to the child, where was my right? If we want to talk about abortion being a woman's right to choose, then where was my right? Where was my choice? Women in the womb, pre-born little girls are losing their lives every single day and they will never have any other choice because a decision was made to end mm. their life. Not every woman is receiving that right to choose. And I think sometimes people have very good intentions, right? When they talk about, well, I, you know, I don't want to take another way another person's choice. But we have to realize that the choice of abortion has consequences. It always ends the life of a child. Well, almost always, right? <laughs> There's a handful of us that it doesn't. But by and large, of course, it ends the life of a child and it does impact the lives of women and men and extended families and the nurses and the doctors, all of those people who are involved in that abortion. It impacts people's lives for generations to come. And there are a handful of people, of course, that I've heard from that say, you know, Melissa, I had an abortion. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I can count the number of people on one hand who have ever told me that. What I can't even begin to count are the number of women and men and the other family members and the medical professionals who have come to me and said, you know what, my life was forever changed after that day. And yet we fight this thing in the legal courts and we fight this thing in the legal system because of this of this right to choose. I, I, I mean, and it seems to me that this abortion issue has gone on for centuries. I mean, would you not agree? Well, of course, people will say that, right? You know, women have been having abortions for, for centuries. True. But that's because living in a broken world has existed for as long as it has, right? We're broken people that live in a broken world. And I think any woman who has had a pregnancy, whether that child has come to term right and been born or not, I've, I've had a miscarriage. I understand what loss looks like. But I think every woman understands that every pregnancy can experience some sort of fear, right? I think that's just human nature and especially that nature of a mother of, of being fearful of what life is going to look like for their child or what life is going to look like for them. And we certainly know that many circumstances in our world are far from perfect. And so, you know, I understand that too. And that's existed this way for a very long time. So, you know, I, I can understand that homemade abortions have existed for a long time and that people are fearful that something like that would happen again. But we have legalized the killing of 59 million children in our country. And to me, that's a really poor marker of our society. What would you say to the person who's actually considering? Maybe they haven't had one, but they've actually had a chance to stumble on this interview. Maybe they're considering an abortion. Well, for whatever somebody is ex experiencing, you know, I, like I said, I understand the fear and I understand that there are life circumstances that appear not to be perfect. But whatever somebody is going through, there is always hope and there is always help. And so I want people to know that even if you don't feel like you have a supportive friend or family member or boyfriend, husband, whoever it is, if you feel like you have nobody to turn to, there is always someone you can turn to. You know, look up your local pregnancy center. You can look it up online. A lot of places you can even request an appointment online. 
There's hotlines that are answered 24 hours a day. There's great resources, just mm-hmm. pro-life organizations that exist that will come alongside someone and help them in their time of need. And talk to them about every option that they have available, support them with resources or find someone who can provide them with those resources to help them get through a difficult time in their life. So I just want anybody listening to know that abortion doesn't have to be the only option that is laid out before you. Amen. Amen. And finally, um, to the Christians that might be listening to this episode, do you have a message for them? I truly believe as the body of Christ, this is something we all need to be involved in. You know, it's always interesting to me how many times people will say, well, you know, that's really political. I don't want to get into that. (laughs) And I can also understand that too, right? However, there's no other sin I can think of in our world that we kind of gloss over and say, oh, we shouldn't talk about that, right? You know, it's ending people's lives. It's impacting people's lives. But I would be Mm. uncomfortable talking about that. I can't. I can't think of anything else to the extent of abortion. And so we are called to talk about it. We all are given the gift of life. We need to, you know, not take that for granted. And we all will stand before him someday and give an account of how we have lived our lives. And I really want people to be able to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know, you bring you bring God into the mix, and there are some that might be listening and say, "Well, I don't necessarily believe in God. Why? What what part of your faith? What part has your faith um, had in helping you to heal from the experience that you've had?" Definitely, and people don't have to be believers to be pro life. You know, that's another conversation we hear a lot. I've got some great friends at organizations like Secular Pro Life uh, who who don't have a faith background, but they truly understand the scientific basis for when life begins. They understand that life is a human right. But for people who, you know, maybe you're listening and and don't have a relationship with Christ, I can tell you that there is no medical reason why I survived this abortion. The doctors have looked over my records time and time again, and they've made it clear there's really no medical reason why anybody like me exists in this world. And I know that God alone spared my life, but that wasn't the only miracle that was performed. It, you know, I could be on this show all night telling you about the miracles that were performed, but little things like our oldest daughter being born at the same hospital where my life was supposed to end. I did not plan to do that. Living in the same city that my birth father was living in, going to the same college that my birth mother was actually a student at when she became pregnant with me. Being at the same college where my grandmother was teaching at the time that I attended college there, my maternal grandmother, moving to the same city, the same area where my birth mother and one of my half-sisters live, the list could go on and on and on. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I I am quite sure that we could talk about this. Uh, I I think we're going to have to have you back because I I, I am quite sure that we could talk about this. on and on. I mean, it is just a massive and powerful story that you have. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the Unresolved uh, Life podcast. Well, thank you for having me. And guys, I just want to end this by saying, you know, if you are listening to this and this story has impacted you, maybe you've had an abortion. Um, maybe you are a survivor of an abortion. Reach out. You know, you can reach out to me at uh, 
Teresa at unresolved.life. And Melissa, how can people contact you? They can visit my website, Melissa Oden, O-H-D-E-N.com. And they can actually con- contact me through a form on that page, or they can visit theabortionsurvivors.com, which provides lots of great information about other survivors like me. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. And guys, again, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze.